0: You're listening to a podcast from Westwind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Welcome to Westwind Worship. We are so glad you are with us. Uh, One of my favorite memories of doing mission work goes back to 2007, where I had the privilege to visit Mali, West Africa. Uh, The regional director, Roger Hahn, uh, invited me, and the purpose was simple just to envision, to pray about being a partner church with the International Mission Board to plant churches in the bush of Mali. Well, fast forward, that did happen. Uh, We have a presence in six villages today. But one of my fondest memories of that trip in 2007 took place when I met a gentleman, and his name is Brema. A young adult, had his own home. Let me show you a picture of Brema. Now, Brema was appointed by the chief and the elders of the village to be what is called the host. And the job of the host is just enormous. It's to ensure our team was cared for and welcomed, and there was a hospitality that was experienced by all of us. But one of the radical things that Brahma did, and it was so exceptional, he had a two-room hut with a courtyard. He literally emptied out his home, turned his home over to our team of four for four weeks. Let me show you a picture of a typical home in uh, the village of Sunja. And so just imagine, uh, you know, moving out of your home for two weeks, everything was out, and we set up our ministry base there. And the reason I share that story with you folks is as we continue to journey through the gospel of Luke, we are going to see what is called biblical and Eastern hospitality. We're gonna study passages that unless we understand the concept of biblical and Eastern hospitality, we won't be able to interpret, understand, and apply it properly to our lives. We come to a passage this morning that is chock full of hospitality. I hope you have your Bibles. I wanna invite you to turn to Luke chapter 10. We're gonna begin reading at verse uh, 28, five verses this morning but beautifully packaged in a culture of hospitality. So follow along in your Bibles if you would. Luke records, while they were traveling, and they means Jesus and the disciples, he entered a village and a woman named Martha, notice this, welcomed him into their home. She had a sister named Mary, who was also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. And she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. You know, we've already learned in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus has set his heart towards Jerusalem. And literally, that means Calvary. And in order to do that, what does he do? Heading to Jerusalem, he goes through Bethany. Bethany is two miles east of Jerusalem, uh, just near the Mount of Olives. We also realize from Luke 9 that Jesus taught about the cost of discipleship. You may recall that he said, Foxes have their holes, birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. We get the impression that there were times that Jesus and his disciples slept out in the open air. Can you imagine? You know, the heavens is a canopy, a sack for a pillow. But there are other times where Jesus and the disciples experienced biblical and Eastern hospitality. And I would suggest by a simple reading of the gospel, there was no more favored place for Jesus to go than to Bethany to spend time with his dear friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And so what happens in the text, Martha gets word that Jesus is coming and she initiates, she welcomes Jesus and the disciples into uh, her home. And so, ladies, let's pause for a minute. I want to have you think about the implications here. Just imagine you have the privilege to host Jesus the Messiah and his band of brothers. That's 13 for dinner and lodging. And yes, lodging would be included. That's how hospitality worked in the ancient world. And so we get a picture of how things are going. This is like a ministry marathon. This is a big deal. So Martha's already out in the kitchen and she's working hard and things aren't going so well. The dough's not rising. There's more smoke coming from the oven than there is heat. (laughs) Uh, It seems like the meal is more like a burnt offering than it is a delicious savor. And all of a sudden, the emotions start to be felt, and the volcano seems to erupt, and Martha busts forth from the kitchen into the living room, and what does she do? She confronts Jesus. And so look to our text this morning. It's Luke chapter 10, verse 40, and here's what she says. She says, Lord, Don't you care that my sister left me to serve alone? So (laughs) tell her to give me a hand. Look how Jesus responds. Verse 41 and 42, the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, folks, a simple reading of this passage seems to suggest there's winners and losers. There's someone who made the right choice. There's someone who made the bad choice. So Martha makes the bad choice. Mary's the winner. She makes a good choice. Now, I believe that in my head, but somehow in my heart, I struggle to embrace it. Why? Because of the grander narrative of Scripture. Here's Martha wanting to serve. We've already learned from Jesus that the greatest among his people will be those who serve. He's already taught about putting your hand to the plow and not look back. Plowing, farming, the agrarian world in in the ancient society, that was hard work. So how do we reconcile this? Because the kingdom of God absolutely needs Martha's. And so when I think about Martha, (laughs) I have a certain sympathy for her. Martha's my kind of gal. Why? She has a great kingdom work ethic. She wants to serve. She wants to be hospitable. And so the world needs Martha's. I hope you realize that. This past weekend, I had the privilege to see an army of Marthas in action, and boy, it was a joy. Uh, We went down to a place called the Friendship Center in uh, Des Moines, and the Friendship Center is one of our ministry partners at Westwind Church. And Westwind, I want to say thank you. We were able to take down 70 backpacks that you donated filled with school supplies and resources. Thank you. There was a team of seven who came down for the better part of the afternoon, so appreciated their labor of love. Ellen and I had the privilege just to spend time with people, getting to know them while they ate and hung out. Let me show you a picture, and this would be just a celebration. Look at these beautiful children. Here's a brother and sister from Mexico, been in uh, the Des Moines area for 22 years. But look at the kids, how beautiful it is with their backpacks and, and their smiles. They're just celebrating. But one of the Martha ministries that we got exposed to at the Friendship Center really inspired Ellen and I. It's a mobile laundry unit. I wanna show you a picture of that this morning. I've never seen anything like it. It was just so inspirational. And so Jeff is the visionary. He's the catalyst, the tall guy. Dan's his right-hand guy, and then there was a teenager Seth. And you know what they did? All afternoon, individuals and families came with their laundry, and literally they washed, they dried, they folded, and they shared the love of Jesus Christ. Friends, it was just inspirational. And why do I share that with you? To say this, the kingdom of God needs Marthas. I hope you realize that. Where would the church be? How could we do children's ministry, youth ministry, adult ministry, worship ministry, tactical at Westland? There's so many ministries that demand all hands on deck, putting our hand to a plow. Where would missions be without the Marthas of this world? Missions in our neighborhood our community, our state, nation, and to the ends of the earth. And so the reality here is, yes, we need Martha's. So Jesus, he's not faulting her for her heart of service. He's not faulting her for being hospitable. In fact, Martha's pretty generous with her time, her treasure, her talent, her touch. Martha's challenge, I would contend, is not in the serving, but her disposition that soured her work and service to the Lord. Luke highlights three negative dispositions that spoiled Martha's work for the Lord and should cause all of us to take note lest we follow in her footsteps. And so, yes, scripture is just very honest. The Bible does give negative reports. Why? We can learn from positive. We can learn from negative. So let's take a look just for a moment at the negative disposition that happened in Martha's service. First, we see that Martha was distracted. Take a moment, if you would, and look again at verse 40. Luke 1040 states, but Martha was distracted by her many tasks. Literally, the original word means to be overoccupied, to be drawn away. Luke tells us that what drew her away from the Lord and his presence was her many tasks and preparations that had to be made. So I asked the question, could it be In Martha's mind, nothing less than the very best for Jesus is acceptable. And friends, that's a great motivation to give Christ our best. But sometimes what happens, it crosses the line and and our best isn't good enough. And sometimes we move into what's called the performance trap and we get into performing more to look good. Numerous times, Martha talks about me. This is about me. Lord, tell her to help me. And so maybe there's a little bit of that going on. And so one of the things that we must learn from Martha, when Jesus is in the living room and we have opportunity to be in the kitchen, make sure we stop in the living room first. Make sure we experience his presence, his peace as we're engaging in service. In our eagerness to serve Jesus, sometimes we can miss the opportunity to get to know Jesus. The second negative uh, disposition is that Martha doubted. And it's real interesting, the progress here of going from being distracted, now (laughs) there's stuff, there's vain imaginations going on in her heart. Look again, if you would, at verse 40. It says this, she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve? So tell her to help me to give me a hand. You know, calling Jesus Lord (laughs) and then confronting him in the same sentence seems like a, a pretty big contradiction. However, Martha's vain imagination now is beginning to run wild to the point of suggesting, sadly, think it through, that Jesus does not care. How sad to think that in our busyness, in our preoccupation, in our serving and doing, that the experience of God's love, his fellowship, his care, and his favor can feel absent. And so, again, another Lesson to learn here from Martha. She started to doubt the Savior's care for her. And then finally, negative disposition number three, she was depleted. Now think about what happens here. So many distractions, maybe the performance mentality. Now she's doubting God's love and care for her and that just depletes her spirit. Look, if you will, at verse 41. The Lord answered her, He saw what was going on. He felt the tension. Martha, Martha, two big words here. You are worried and upset about many things. You know, part of Martha's problem is that she was worried too much and was upset about what others were doing. She burst into the room And what does she do? She confronts Jesus, but really she's pointing the finger at her sister. Tell her to help me. Martha had expectations of her sister, expectations of others. Hey, I'm serving, they should be serving too. And I think there's a beautiful lesson that we can learn from Martha's anxiety, her upsetness, her depletion. You know, folks... We all have the privilege to serve, and everybody has to steward their time, treasure, talent, and touch. But I think Martha reminds us to beware about pointing the finger at others. If we put more time into doing a self-assessment, Lord, to search my heart and my stewarding, my time, my treasure, my talent and touch for your kingdom and glory, and then let that be an example instead of pointing a finger and calling others out. Now, maybe there's a time for that if you're in a really uh, mentoring-type relationship and you know the intimacy of people's lives and details, but beware that the disposition of Martha could affect us all. And so Martha's depleted disposition soured God's work, and I would contend had a ripple effect on everybody just imagine what that party would have been like. The great intention was to host Jesus, the disciples, and just really have a hoopla. Martha was so looking forward to this. But what happens? Number one, her younger sister Mary is hurt. Martha called Mary out publicly. And boy, if you've learned one lesson, I've learned one lesson over the years is, you know, you rarely try to call people out publicly. You try to do that privately. Boom. Martha busts her publicly, Mary's hurt, and boy, the ripple effect. Just imagine being the band of brothers, the disciples. You know, it's real interesting. They're there, but they're not mentioned in the text, but they're watching this. They're experiencing this. Talk about awkward. But then, how sad. Jesus is the honored guest, and this is a culture of honor and shame. Remember, when you host well, when you're hospitable, you honor the community, you honor the leader, there's a good name. The honored guest is dishonored. Martha confronts Christ. Tell her to help me. Don't you care? Come on, Jesus. And so what's beautiful about this passage is this. We see how Jesus responds, and he responds in a very nurturing way. He says, Martha, Martha. And you can kind of hear the tenderness in, in his voice, the compassion, the sensitivity. He says, Martha, I understand that you and Mary are different. You have different giftings and personalities. One of the things Jesus doesn't say to Martha is, oh, I wish you were more like your sister Mary. He doesn't do that at all. Martha would never be Mary, and Mary would never be Martha. And Jesus knew that and embraced that. And so he let them struggle with their strengths and grow in their areas of weakness. And then we come to what I would call the key verse of the passage, Luke 10.32. Look what Jesus says, Martha, Martha. Martha. You are worried, you're upset about many things, but this next phrase is the kicker. This is the heart, this is the guts of this passage. But one thing is necessary, and Mary has made the right choice, and it won't be taken away from her. Now, friends, I want to pause for a moment because as I studied this text, I personally had a pause. And here's what I wrote. I said, wait a minute. One thing, Jesus Seriously? I wish my life were that simple. How about you watching this morning? Is your life that simple? Here's my reality. I get out of bed any given day. I got eight to 10 things that seem to be monumental. I'm a husband to a dear gal named Ellen, 31 years, and I take that role very seriously. I'm a father to three young adult children and a daughter who's pregnant will give birth in a couple months. I'm a son to a mother who's 85 years old who's been a widow for over 20 years living 900 miles away from me. I'm a brother to two older brothers who I love dearly who need Jesus. I'm a pastor of a church where I'm called to pray and to preach and to shepherd and to lead and to equip. I'm a missionary in my neighborhood community and to the ends of the earth. I'm a steward of a home of resources of health and life, and the list goes on and on. Really, Jesus, one thing? That's so I thought about it. I thought about like, okay, just imagine if I could just do one thing from that list. Here's what I'm gonna choose. I'm gonna do one thing, and her name is Ellen. And so I'm just gonna hang with Ellen, walk with Ellen, talk with Ellen, love Ellen, spend all my time with Ellen. You know what would happen? That would end in divorce, because Ellen needs her space. <laughs> all right, so let's put that one aside. How about another thing? Just if I could do one thing, pray and preach and spend my whole day just exegeting the text and working through a sermon and praying about it. Boy, that one thing. And so folks, the question we really have to wrestle with today is when we have so many things that you and I are responsible for, what is this one thing? What is Jesus challenging us to do What is he using Mary as an example to teach us? And that's how we're gonna tie this sermon together. So let's take a look at Mary's one thing from three different angles. The first thing is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And so when you think of one thing, think first, at sitting at the feet of Jesus. Look at verse 39. Mary, who also, and it's a key word, sat at the feet of Jesus. You go to John chapter 11 and 12, you'll see this disposition. Mary is known for sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, please don't miss this. The necessary one thing begins with sitting at the feet of Jesus. And what does that mean in the ancient world? It's a very important picture, folks. When anyone sat at a rabbi's feet, It literally meant they were a disciple. Now, Luke uses this for a variety of reasons. First and foremost, to promote worship, but he's also pushing against culture, pushing against society, and even the Jewish religion. Why? Do you realize that women were not allowed into the synagogue to be taught with the men? They had to stay outside. They weren't allowed to wear phylacteries which carried the Holy Scripture, the Shema of Israel. When he went to the temple, they had a separate place of worship. There was a segregation literally in the temple, the court of the women. And the bottom line is, all the literature will say this, women did not learn like men in the ancient world. They were not welcomed by the rabbis to be disciples. So you know what's going on here? Luke, once again, is pushing back on all the norms of society, culture, and, yes, the Jewish religion. With Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, she is a bona fide disciple, and grace is being extended to all people. It's Galatians 3.28. There's neither Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. We all become one in Christ. What a blessing. There's something tranquil about sitting at the feet of Jesus, often in the hustle and bustle of life, we neglect to deliberately pause and spend time with our Savior. And so here's Mary modeling to us the first step in first things, sitting, learning, being discipled, leaning into Christ. And I want you to know that's an invitation that's given to all. Young, old, male, female, all across the world, Jesus says this, Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. I love this phrase, learn from me, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light, and you will find rest for your soul. So the one thing begins with sitting at the feet of Jesus, but then It continues by soaking in the words of Jesus. And I love that word soaking. And it's really an aid to the text. Look at verse 39. Mary was listening to what he says. All through the gospel of Luke, Luke is promoting hearing from the Lord. But not only his words, taking his words and processing them. In the Gospel of Luke, to genuinely listen to the words of Jesus is to join him, and I love this, on the road of discipleship. You know, last week we looked at a gentleman. He's an expert in the Bible, the law, the Torah. He comes with questions. Jesus engages, tells a parable. He heard Jesus, but I would contend from the text, he never really listened with his heart. He never really responded positively with actions and became a disciple of Jesus Christ. Constantly in Luke, we are told this. Be careful how you listen. Here's Mary She's listening well. She's sitting at the feet. She's hearing. She's processing. She's living out the word of God. What a beautiful picture. You know, it's interesting in the text, Mary doesn't say a word. She's silent. She's soaking. And what a testimony of what it truly means to listen. How well do you listen today? It's really an art to pause, to be reflective, to be silent, to listen to our Lord. And then finally, Mary's one thing culminates with being satisfied by the lasting nourishment of God's work, God's word. And I love this. Look at verse 42. It's remarkable. Jesus says, Mary, one thing is necessary. Mary has chose the right choice, Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. Here is an allusion to Deuteronomy chapter 8. It's a beautiful picture that goes back to the Old Testament, to the wilderness scene. And here's what Moses wrote. He says, God chose to make you hungry, Israel, Then he fed you from heaven physical food, manna, but there was a greater purpose. What was the purpose? So that you might learn, that we all might learn, man and woman shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus brought that up in Matthew 4. And so think it through. Here's what's going on in this beautiful home of hospitality. Two meals are being served. Do you realize that? He had a physical meal out in the kitchen, and he had a spiritual meal out in the living room. And really what is happening is the same thing that happened in Deuteronomy chapter 8. It's a contrast between manna that just satisfies for a day versus the living word of God that satisfies forever. And so, why does Jesus say Mary chose better? She chose the spiritual meal first and it will not be taken away from her. And so friends, here's the encouragement. Yes, we need Martha's. We absolutely need Martha's in the kingdom of God. We need servants, and the greatest among these is a servant. But I would contend, before we move to the doing and serving, we have to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn to become, to be transformed, to feed our soul. The heart of this passage is this. Martha works. Mary worships. Both are needed. Please remember that. But learn this great lesson. The best workers are first worshipers. A.W. Tozer said this, and it's a beautiful statement. We are called to an everlasting preoccupation with God. That's the heart of Mary. Sitting at the feet, soaking in the word, and finding satisfaction for your soul pray with me please Father these are beautiful portraits of discipleship we thank you for both women we need Martha's Lord we desperately need them who have hearts to serve to be generous with time treasure talent and touch but we have to prioritize the heart of Mary The best workers truly are first worshipers So would you give us that kind of heart, Father? Would you call us to sit at your feet, to soak in your word, to be satisfied in you and your truth? So thank you, Lord. Thank you for the living word of God that transforms our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.